and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for Saturday, October 16th, 2021, otherwise known as Sweetest Day, which apparently is a day that people give chocolates. I've never heard of it, but it seems maybe it's a warm up too, but it feels kind of redundant being so close to Halloween. Maybe it's just like a little bit of prep for it to get your bellies ready. <laughs> right. Yeah. You don't want to just go from nothing to chocolates and candy corn and actually. Here we go. Shane and I have discovered the way of unlocking some power inside the Oreo. Everyone loves it. It's Milk's favorite cookie. <laughs> this is not say. a brand deal for Oreos, <laughs> no. but it's starting to sound like one. <laughs> Oreos, if you're listening. Now, I'm a double stuff man. What about you guys? I'm a regular stuff, or I would even take less stuff if they made it. Regular now, cookie, thinner stuff. So, Mike, do you, you think it's fair to say you like to get double stuffed? <laughs> Oreos. Oreos. He likes to get double stuffed Oreos. That's fair to say. Chris, you are correct. Now, they have a new product. I'm giving Ben the silent treatment on that one. I don't know if you guys noticed. They have mega stuff. Oh, my God. So it's a Now, triple? this is a double, double stuff. And the way that I know is it's not a single filling. You can tell that it's okay. a wafer with filling stuck to another wafer with filling it's not one consistent thing because when you try and uh, separate the epoxy where you you couldn't do it all in one pour that's exactly what it is and whenever you separate the cookies the filling doesn't want to stay intact Mm. so my review of the mega stuff is not that great but whether you're a regular or a double stuff man or woman out there (laughs) (laughs) Put those bad boys in the fridge. Get them out of your pantry and put them in the fridge. It makes them way better. And then if you want to go celebrate Sweetest Day the right way, get yourself a nice ripe strawberry, cut it in half, and put that and make a nice, tasty Oreo strawberry treat. It's fantastic. I, think, I don't know where I'm going with I this. I'm Mitch so Hedberg, sorry. You, you guys remember Mitch Hedberg? Yeah. Yeah, the comedian. Yeah. I feel like he had a joke that was kind of like this about Ritz or something. And he was talking about like all of the like like recipes that they would put on the backs of the box of Ritz. And he's like basically saying like, you know what I like on a Ritz is another Ritz. Like yeah. who's gonna like actually go through all of this trouble of making something? Well, apparently Mike. Although I will okay. say I do I do appreciate a cold cookie. I feel like that's underappreciated. It really is. And I know that that was very long-winded, but at the end of the day, next time you eat an Oreo, whichever is your favorite, just get a strawberry if you have one, cut it in half, and make it a nice little sandwich. It's really tasty. Now do the is the <laughs> never mind. I could go keep for it, going. dude. Hit it. Is the strawberry inside of it's the Oreo? sweetest day, man? Let's celebrate. <laughs> Yeah. Say what? Is the strawberry inside of the Oreo or are you making the strawberry be the bread? Or is it a, gar- a garnish on top? So what I've done <gasps> is cut the... Str- now, I want to shout out Shane, my editor. He's worked with you, Ben, as well. He's fantastic. He is the person that invented this. I put the Oreos in the fridge and then he made the strawberry happen. So what you do is you slice the strawberry in half and then you put that on top and bottom of the Oreo. But Chris, now that you're talking, I like the idea of cutting it into a sliver, opening up the Oreo and then making it double stuffed, half filling, half strawberry. That's pretty cool. What if you got yourself two Oreos, a few strawberries, you slice them all up, you take one of those Oreos, half of it goes on to one of yours the other half of it goes on to the other one. Now you have kind of like an Oreo strawberry Big Mac situation going or like you a need club some, sandwich. Yeah, it would be a great in a finger food situation. Those would look great in a tray. Yes. You know, you pick and you pick and pop. It's a big it's a big party move. Let's see it this Halloween. Let's get spooky and bring out the Oreos and strawberries. <laughs> Man, we've had some long national days these past two weeks. Well, hang on, guys. That was just the treat that I've been into. What treats have you guys been into? I'll keep mine short. I had had some ice cream cake after dinner tonight. That was tasty. Well, come on. Give me more. What are we talking here? So what you do is you get your ice cream cake. You thinly (laughs) put it in the fridge, not the freezer. You let it melt all over the place. Then you get some strawberries. You slice those up real thin. You use it to wipe up all the melted ice cream cake that's in your fridge, right? You take that, you put it in a blender, you blend it all up. (laughs) Meanwhile, you got Oreos. We're done. Nope. Nope. (laughs) I'm just going stream of consciousness here. Yeah. But you did have ice cream cake? I did have ice cream cake and it was good. 
So now tell me just what kind it was. You got me curious. <laughs> All right. So it was a chocolate cake with a chocolate chip vanilla ice cream. Nice. Ben, you've been traveling. Have you had any special treats? <laughs> what do they got in New York? Wow. Is that where you were? Yeah. Did you indulge while you were in the big city in the big apple? I didn't indulge in double stuff or mega stuff, <laughs> but no stuffing. Hanging out with our boy Schultz, we did uh visit a few nice restaurants. Schultz is a little bit of a foodie. And we went to some really some really nice places. Now well, that's a nice flex, but tell me about a dang well, dessert for crying out loud. Well, here's what I was going to say. Like, <laughs> they were kind of, you know, on the experimental side of cuisine. Mm. So it's Ooh. like food that's interesting. And interesting desserts are not always that great, in my opinion. No? So I was like thinking about it as I was eating this, like, it was like this, like, fig and very low sweet kind of ice cream that was gelato. It was good, but when you actually break it down to just enjoyment, it's like, I know that this is higher end and more refined, but it doesn't mean I enjoy it better than an Oreo, double stuffed or not. And, you know, I think that ties into so much of the way we all kind of work. It's like, you know, when when I think about what I'm trying to design and make, it's not the nicest thing necessarily. I'm trying to really find that point of maximum enjoyment, which is sort of, I think the utility of food outside of nutrition, but I don't think higher end and fancier and rarer and more unusual doesn't always lead to like a better experience. Like context matters. So so many other things matter in addition to just what you're putting in your mouth or wherever you're double stuffing, <laughs> but it, it, it's interesting. Like some of my best food memories are not with particularly great food, but it's a relatively simple, but enjoyable thing that's in like a moment with, that when combined, it creates an indelible memory that like lasts forever. I know exactly what you mean. Like my mom makes great spaghetti with like a really meaty sauce. And if I had to make 10 meals that I had to choose, it's going to be a lot of the fundamental meals kind of like that. Maybe it's just like one or two things that are very outside of the box, but the fundamentals are fundamentals for the reason that they are kind of in all things. Well, here's like the thing. A hot dog from a gas station after a long night of drinking is kind of a regrettable experience, but still enjoyable. But like a hot dog, like sitting on a tailgate, like out in nature kind of an amazing experience it's so simple and the surroundings and it's the right food to be portable to that environment so yeah we ate some some pretty fancy food and some of the entrees were were pretty remarkable but yeah like just because a dessert is fancier doesn't mean it's better and it's really hard to beat like a basic donut doesn't have to have maple bacon everything on it but just if the texture's right it's well executed. It's relatively fresh. Pretty, pretty tough to beat. I remember saying many times, although they discontinued them, I don't know why, but Taco Bell used to have this thing called a caramel apple empanada. And you could get a lot Ooh. fancier, but you can't really get much better. I'll end this with, with one suggestion for our listeners to try that's relatively accessible. And it's my go-to indulgent snack if I just, you know, Popped an edible and just not ready to call it a night. Just, just, just have to eat something before bed. Hawaiian bread, not the rolls, the big round loaf. Like it looks like half a basketball. It's got mm. kind of a leathery oh, surface. Wow. So King's Hawaiian bread. It's a, I think it's an international treasure. You take a thick slice of that, about three quarters of an inch thick. You put it into the toaster. Not doesn't have to be well done. No black, just a little bit of light brown. Some good butter, none of that cheap margarine, none of that I can't believe it's not butter. Use real butter. I actually think that with butter on it is the most enjoyable dessert I've had in the last couple of years. And then you thinly slice a strawberry. You get a couple Oreos out of the fridge. It's the simplicity. It's the simplicity. All right. Not after Mike gets to it. That was a lot of (laughs) Yeah, that was a lot of sweet. That was some sweet talking. 
Happy Sweetest Day, everybody. We'll be yeah. back next year. I don't care what day of the week it is. It'll be a Tuesday. It'll We're be posting. Sunday. We're posting on Sunday next year. <laughs> All right. All right so what's going on? What's new in the shop? Uh, Chris, Yo. we've gotten the most recent update from you and I. Ben, what was happening while you were out last episode? Hmm. Well, I was in New York. I was looking at helping Schultz plan out his new studio. He's moving Which from is gonna Brooklyn. Which freaking crazy. It's going to be Dude. next level. So real quick. I'm going to go ahead and hype us because I know you're going to talk for a second. So I'll go ahead and get a little bit of it out of the way. We completely killed it when we made these podcast setups for all of the considerations and size constraints we were dealing with. I got Alex Jones on a podcast set I built. That is literally like lifetime achievement goals. I'm so happy with this. So we've set a high bar and I think we really helped develop a baseline for a lot of these podcasts on the internet. I'm not saying that we changed the game when we did it, but we help solidify a baseline. And what we're about to do when we make these next studios are going to be better than anything else on YouTube. It's going to be pretty good. So they're moving from a pretty big space in Brooklyn to an even bigger space in Soho. Uh, Schultz's sort of media side of things has really taken off in the last year and a half. Probably almost entirely due to the set that we built that just, no. No, not at all. <laughs> no. uh, 50%. Uh, yeah, 50%. So I was out there sort of walking to space with him and, and taping off the ground and trying to look at all that. But before that, I was r- working on the Rockler coffee bar, which is just about done. I think Ooh. by about the time this comes out, you'll be seeing at least teasers for it on Instagram, if not the video for it out on YouTube. Nice. I used all MDF. Like I used MDF for everything. And then I made a concrete top, but I used MDF to make the mold. And I was just trying to, ex- I was, I've been interested in MDF for a while and I've been sort of bringing it up. And it's such a weird material to work with. It's like the tofu of wood. Like it has like no <laughs> texture, but it's consistent <laughs> and it can take on the flavor of whatever you put on top of it. Meaning that you can sand it really smooth. I'm sanding it and then clear coating it, and then spray painting the clear coat on top of it, which keeps the the paint from absorbing into it too much. That way I can lay the clear coat on real thick and almost use it like a primer and kind of sand that, but it's not quite as like gummy as a, as a typical primer. And yeah, it's, I pretty much use like one sheet of MDF, which right now is expensive, but typically MDF is a, is a pretty cheap product. It looks really clean. It has sort of an Art Deco look, which is something I'm interested in these days. And then we made a light green concrete top with a little bit of detailing on it to go on. So I'm going to start editing that soon. I am have a lot of videos in the can. So I have a bunch of videos that are related to money. So I have the budget <laughs> video for the container house coming in where I, uh, coming out where I talk about all the cost and then also about how much I sold it for. And then that marble, that travertine giant conference table, that video is coming out. And it's interesting because I'll just uh, reveal the data on here. It's like I built it for, it was $3,500 of materials and I sold it for 8,000. And so nice. this one will be sort of compared to that other commission video that I did where I built it for $500 and then sold it for $6,000. So I'm really curious on the reaction. And I brought this up a little bit before. So with this one, with the first one, everyone was like, how could you make, they were so offended by the low material cost, not necessarily by the sale price, but that table had those really crazy steel bases that took a ton of time. And like, I don't care how much the materials cost. I'm going to charge you for my time. I'm not upcharging your materials. It's like, how long does it take me to, to make these things? I'm not a materials broker. I don't have a wholesale license. I'm buying these things at cost. I'm not getting special discounts on things that I'm not sponsored for. Right. So, you're just kind of considering the time it takes to go get the materials, but right. you're saving time because they're cutting it to size. So you're just kind of equating the time broadly, but not like price of materials plus 20% like some people or something like that. So if I was to make a food analogy, the first table was like me making some molecular gas gastronomy out of tofu. And tofu is not expensive, but if I put a ton of time and really invented something clever and, and cool, you know, 
you're going to charge a big price for it. This time, it's much more like a steak where the materials are really expensive, but the design is super simple. Like I did the most basic table design ever. It's like two panels, so I don't have to deal with four legs because making two (laughs) legs is easier than four legs. And I had only had three weeks to build it, and most of that had to go in ordering the materials. And there's probably only two days of build time. So I only charged that much. Like I'm pretty consistent. This is my labor rate. And other than delivery and stuff like that, that sort of gets added into it. So I have a feeling people will be totally okay with this one, even though it's a way less original design, there's way Mm -hmm. less sort of skill going into it, but they just like seeing that the materials going in and the price are more closer. They really, I think the audience is un or not all the audience, the broad, loud kind of commenters are more offended by the idea that like a soft skill, like a design idea or that or labor translates into money than they are just being like expensive things should be made from expensive materials. When we all know that's true. Like it's not like the materials in Nikes are worth that much more than the materials that are in like, you know, a shoes, shoes you get at Payless. They might be slightly more, but it's really the engineering and all the ideas and the branding going into it. Right, what was so, the cost of materials for the paint in a Jackson Pollock painting? Not high. <laughs> no. But it was a lot of paint, to be fair. I was, was about to say, paint. probably not bad if he was using decent right, acrylics. Right, a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. But I think it'll be, I think it's fun. I think people will like seeing the stone. It's sort of a nice really mix did, with the walnut. I really did like the base. I thought that the base being really dark yeah you were just saying it was walnut but i the base being dark and then the top being kind of a medium tone countertop rather than something like carrera marble or something like that right it was a fresh take and i think it will fit in the spaces that it's at nicely yeah so that i got i got that coming out i got the 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 container video and then the coffee bar so going to be a lot of videos dropping which is always kind of fun so it's going to be a busy a busy content a content next couple of weeks talking a lot of money big business guy over here yeah buy low sell high <laughs> and that is financial advice yeah. chris Boom. what no. do you got dude Ooh, actually i kind of switched things up from what i was planning on doing so Oh, Mike, by the way, you'll be happy to remember the whole eating dining table thing. So (laughs) you uh, in in this video, which will be out by the time people are listening to this, it should come out hopefully on last Thursday for this round table. And and in the very beginning, I talk about how I say, like, what do you call this kind of table? I call it an eating table, which might sound very funny. And then I put up where I'm just like holding the phone and it's our conversation from that time. And I put a little (laughs) clip of you, but so you can use Photoshop. They have like this thing where you, 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 it, it finds the face and then you get to choose emotions and you slide like happy, sad, confused. Like you can choose all these different metrics and then it goes in the cloud and they use their computers to process it and then like send you the file back. But it all happens within like seconds. So you see it actually happen. And so I put you in there and I made you like mad because you sounded angry when you're talking. (laughs) So then it it has like you where I just like have like two different versions of your face. So you're going from like happy to sad from happy to sad while you're berating me for calling it an eating table. But anyway, (laughs) while I was building that, I got to the part of the build where you have a wobbly table because it's like four small contact areas with the ground. We have really bad floors here. They're like, they look very nice, but they're very uneven. So Mm -hmm. I got to the part where I'm balancing those. So I'm just doing like the thing where you kind of put two patches of sandpaper down and you wiggle it back and forth just to fine tune it. And I was thinking, what, what would be some other ways that I could do this? And so I had this idea, which I'm sure somebody else has done this or whatever. I've not seen it. So I'm not going to claim to be the inventor of this idea, but I haven't seen it anywhere else. And so I was thinking, imagine that you had a leg that was an inch shorter than the rest. So everything's touching the ground, except for this one leg's an inch off the ground. So this would be like an extreme version. And then you got just like a thin disposable cup or something, and you put epoxy in it and then set it under the leg. So now that's touching the ground and then you let it harden. And now you basically shape the epoxy. So now they all would be touching the ground, right? Okay. It would like balance your legs. For and you it. have an, <clears throat> and you have an epoxy leg. Is that the whole point? Well, so then the, the bottom inch of the leg would be epoxy. 
in that but situation. But why is that a good thing? Why do we want that? Does it well, just look cool? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. Probably. Oh, okay. But, you know, more likely than not, you're going to be talking about like... A sliver. Yeah. A sixteenth of an inch or something like that. Oh, and so that'll okay. look better than like a felt pad or it, it would basically be invisible. I thought you were about to do a very avant-garde like well, art move where it's like, here's so a chair, gonna... but one of the legs is a solo cup. So <laughs> yeah, just leave it. Good, I guess. But anyway, so I thought, well, what if you use that as a design detail? So now I was picturing yeah. this table because it's got lower stretchers. And I thought, well, what if I just propped the whole table up so that all the legs were floating off the ground by like an inch or two inches and then put... A, put those cups at the bottom of all the legs. So now the bottom of the, and then, you know, let it harden and then reshape it. And so now the bottom of all of them Mm. would be like this kind of like floating hovering effect, or you could like use a color, whatever you want to do. I think that that's very cool. I thought it was really weird looking in my mind because I can imagine things, you know, I don't have that Fantasia. Yeah. And I imagined one leg having the epoxy inch on the bottom. And I'm like, why? It's going to make it look like it's wonky. Yeah, but the idea of funny. doing it to all four, I think, is very cool. So I was like, okay, I want to do like, I, I want to make a video about this. So I just thought like, well, what pieces do I need? So I actually need like a very small kind of bookshelf. So I just quickly designed mm-hmm. something up. So I started building it today. I'm just going to let it come out however it comes out. But then I'll probably... For the video, I'm not sure what I'll do yet. What I might do is I might cut one leg short and then show how you could use this technique to just like fix it and then cut all of them short and use it as a design element. That way I get to show both different versions of the idea. Like, you know, here's where the idea came from. Here's how it's practical. Here's how you could maybe use it artistically. So do you think you'll be able to shape this bottom inch of each legs with just a chisel and match the profile? No, I think what you would do... So it's going to be interesting because mine, this one's going to be a very hard shape to replicate because it's essentially going to be like the kind of tapered splayed legs that I always do, but round. So uh, that would be wow. very hard oh, to wow. recreate that. So I think what, what would you say, Ben? No, it's, that's, um, I'm, I'm thinking about how I would even go about that. So and I think it's what I'm, daunting. I think what I'll do is I'll probably just like grind away at it to get it. So it's just like slightly bigger than what it needs to be. And then just kind of sand it. And because you'll have yeah. a lot of reference face, from the existing leg, I feel like it'll be easy to just like continue that on or probably because how I'm going to make the shape initially is it'll be square and then I'll use a router to shape it. If I just leave the router like set up in my final position, then I can just route the epoxy and hopefully it'll mm. kind of come out the same. Yeah, that could be it. Either way, I think it's going to be interesting and maybe having that round leg, it'll give it a little bit of fudge factor, you yeah. know, that I will kind of blend right. it out. And one thing I'll say... There's a lot of things that are unpleasant about working with epoxy. One of the things that's not unpleasant and is actually quite enjoyable is routing epoxy. It comes yeah, off like in such shaving. nice. Yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like light and fluffy. Now, they'll static cling to like yeah. everything in the room. Like they'll oh, yeah. stick to the wall. But the the sound of it machining and the smoothness, it's just soft enough and there's no grain. So there's never tear out. It's like putting a round over, like a, like yeah. a hefty half inch round over on epoxy. It's it's kind of an enjoyable experience. Ten out of yeah, ten is, would recommend. It also yeah, that's feels a good like point it really because it's airborne. Yeah. Oh, it just all sticks to whatever you're working well, it's on. Like yeah. heavy it enough, it's like heavy enough. It's like shaving. You really get you turn into the <laughs> yeah. uh, What is it called? The abominable, abominable snowman. snowman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I now, remember doing that epoxy sink in the bus, that blue one, yeah. and I was carving it down in layers to get it all flat, and that made a mess. But now, it was fun, because it really doesn't tax the router too much. No. Now, one thing that isn't fun to route is MDF. That's Ooh. just a fine sand that also sticks That's, to everything. Yeah. It's the worst sawdust, I think. Particle board and MDF. It, it, it is not fun. It's dust to dust. So it's kind of a good thing you were able to do a lot of the cutting on the CNC. You could probably like get it going and then run away rather than yeah. cutting everything, you know, by hand or with a with a table saw. Yeah. Mike, what do you got? House looks good. House looks good, man. A lot's been happening. So I painted the exterior of the house white. It is modern. It is fresh. It fits the Joshua Tree look. But this past week, I got a couple of days and I built the semi-exact DIY box frame leg kit. Oh, yeah. I watched you on on Instagram. Now, you bought the steel and you said the steel was kind of expensive. Was the steel more than the legs themselves? 
So yeah, I guess, yeah, let me <laughs> rewind and kind of give the story. I'll give the little rundown. So they're really, so semi-exact, a company that we're all a part of. It's an awesome company. You guys have launched a couple of signature products through. One of the products that we've worked on is what we're calling the DIY box frame leg kit. So if you're somebody that likes to build things, but you want to incorporate some metal legs into a bed build, this is the way to do it. It's your corner bracket and your leg in one. And it comes with a cool headboard bracket as well. So it's at an angle. It's not a big sell. Go check out semiexact.com though. If you're interested, we love the support, but there really wasn't enough meat on the bone for me to just make a video showing me assembling this because the whole point is we've made assembly very easy with this kit. And so it really only takes an afternoon if you know what you're doing. And so what I thought would be fun and what I was really kind of curious on doing as a skill builder was welding up these legs myself. So I went down to the local steel yard and I picked up some 3 16th inch plate steel, which is the same metal that we're using in our fabrication. And boy, oh boy, it was expensive. Currently, from the guys that I bought it from, Steel is up 300% than what, from what it was pre-Rona. And that made a four foot by four foot sheet about $230. Now, how much of that did you actually use to make the four legs? I used about a solid third, a little bit less than. And so at the end of the day, the leg kits are on sale right now for about 200, a little bit less. I would say I spent about 100 in material. And so after the amount of time I spent, which was really a full day, it was two half days that I was able to get out there and cut and grind and weld. I basically spent a whole day, welded up a custom version. Obviously, they're not quite as clean, but I got some good practice in. Functionally, they worked just as well. They were just missing a couple of the cool aesthetic elements, like the little, uh, the rounded corners and the nice kind of eased transitions. But it was a fun kind of experiment and I thought it would be a cool video because I'm really not trying to convince or oversell people on the legs. Right. I just think it's one of those things where I want to make a YouTube video to get it out in front of people. You know, obviously I want as many people to see the bed kit as possible. And so I thought, Hey, the people that are going to see this and have a welder and know how to weld things. And that's just what they're going to do. They're going to do it anyways. So I kind of approached this video as a tutorial for those people, as much as a tutorial for everyone else. I really wasn't trying to steer people away too hard from DIYing the legs, if that's what they want to do, because it is a good skill builder and it's not the hardest thing in the world, but also most people don't have a welder. Most people. Well, that's what I was going to say. Most people don't have a welder. Obviously, they're not going to get quite as good as looks. And the powder coating is a cool option. And so, you know, for the people that it's a good sell to, great. I don't need to oversell it to. And the people that are going to DIY it anyways, cool. I support it. That's what Modern Builds literally is all about, you know. So hopefully it's a fun video and people like it because the bed ended up looking really, really fresh. It's got a classic mid-century modern look. It's got a nice, they're basically kind of like four by four steel posts in the corners for the legs and then a wood apron that's six inches tall that goes around the bed but the headboard it's got these brackets that put it at about 10 degrees leaning back and what i did is i extended the headboard out past the width of the bed about six inches on each side and then i just used a gallon paint can to add a nice round over to the rectangle and I thought that it just made it a little bit nicer, a tiny bit more custom. And I just like really enjoyed the fact that it was already made. I was like, oh, what should I do? Should I make a quick compass? And then I was like, wait a second. I grabbed a quart can and a gallon can. And I was like, well, it's the gallon. There Let's go. do it. The gallon radius. Yeah, yeah. it looks really clean. The, I, it's so funny, too, that I always tell brands that actually reverse engineering their products is more likely to make people to buy them because what you experience is the opposite of what you did with the plumbing. The plumbing was a quick fix that saved a lot of money. This was a long process that saves a little bit of money. Pretty so, much. Yeah. So it's almost like you, the same way when I saw you do the plumbing thing, I was like, you know what? It's a really good point. Not only did he save time by, you know, not having to wait for the guy to come out and actually do it, but he saved a good amount of money and it didn't take you that long. This is the opposite. Like, you know, <laughs> the same way that that yeah. content will encourage people to, to do their own fixes for things like that. I think this video would like, look, I can weld up hairpin legs. 
I'm not gonna. <laughs> I, I would rather buy them even if I wasn't involved with semi-exact just because right. they're, they're all four are going to be consistent. But the, I, I think the powder coating is the real, like I've done a little bit of powder coating. It's such a pain in the ass, like setup wise and it's messy. And you get the dust all over that. And it's such a more durable finish than what you can do with spray paint. So check out semi-exact. They got some really cool stuff. Casual turtles, the best color. Mike and Chris still got to come up with their really clever names, but thinking. they're working on it. I know, I know, I know. But I've I've decided, and I had a meeting with the semi-exact guys earlier today, just kind of running through like my my experience building everything. And I think I'm doing my my signature soft yellow as my signature color. So the mellow yellow, mellow yellow is not a bad one, but we'll figure it out. Maybe it's just pastel school bus. Ooh. Pastel school bus. I actually really like that. Not twink, it has a Twinkie stool, school bus. No. no. <laughs> Double well, I like in the school bus. <laughs> I like any color name that you can imagine right away when you hear it. And I think you know what pastel school bus is. Chris, I'm going to be doing a table with your spider legs soon. Nice. And doing a lightweight concrete table. Yeah, those spider legs are getting some love. I'm my next project that I'm about to start tomorrow is using your spider legs oh, as well. Man. I hate to say it because compliments are tough to give you because I know I'll how big your ego though. is. No, the worst, <laughs> Chris, the biggest ego control. out there. You can't feed it. Uh, but yeah, those spider legs, monster. honestly, they look so cool. I'm excited to use them. They're Me just too. like they're just different than everything else that's out there. Like there's In so many steel legs, and they're all yes. like square and blocky. They all look like legs for lego people uh, <laughs> and then finally it's something that's equally heavy duty but it just got it's got some design to it it's, it's got, got some, some elegance Ooh, yeah. that's it all right guys well we always want to give a huge thanks to Saw Stop for sponsoring what we've been up to. Now, Chris, you own a Saw Stop. I do. Tell us a little bit about a Saw Stop and why it's worth it, aside from just keeping all 10 digits. I mean, I think the most obvious thing is that in addition to that safety feature, it's just a really good table saw. So I've used a number of table saws out there. It's pretty much as good as you can get in my book. You know, I have no complaints about them. There's two of them in my shop does everything you want and has that one extra feature that hopefully you never need to use. And I love the fact that Chris kind of couldn't come up with something crazy and that's kind of the testament to it. Zero complaints, right? I mean, I that's pretty that's much the big thing. The kind of crazy aspect is like the first thing that you always think of when you think of a saw stop is the hot dog demonstration, which is awesome and all that. But like at the end of the day, what it, what, you'll use it 99.9999999% of the time is just a regular table saw. And it's really, really good at doing that too. Right. And that's the point. Awesome. Well, we always have links in the show note to Saw Stop. So check those out. If you want to support the show, I don't know, pick one up, save some fingers and just don't have any table saw complaints. Thanks, Saw Stop. Boom. Today's episode of the Modern Maker Podcast is also sponsored by Novo. Small business owners, startups, freelancers, and entrepreneurs, do you know the number one way to avoid unfair bank fees? Well, step one is to close your current account, and step two is to open a new Novo free business banking account. Novo, spelled N-O-V-O, is the number one business banking app because it's built from the ground up to be powerfully simple and free business banking that Money Magazine calls the best business checking account of 2021. With Novo, there are no minimum balances, no transaction limits, and no hidden fees. You can sign up for free in under 10 minutes at banknovo.com modern, and then they'll mail you a Novo debit card and you get free ATM use. Novo makes banking easy and secure. You can manage your account in Novo's customizable web, Android, and iOS apps with built-in profit-first accounting and invoicing. Plus, you can tag each transaction and upload your receipts there. I remember back in the day, my first business banking experience was in Oklahoma with one of those regional chains. They had a terrible website and no app yet. Don't be stuck in a situation like that. Get Novo. 
Novo seamlessly integrates with some of the leading business tools and services like Stripe, Shopify, QuickBooks, and more for free. Plus, they offer a ton of perks and discounts just for signing up. So right now, you can get your free business banking account in just 10 minutes at banknovo.com modern. Go to banknovo.com modern to sign up for free right now and get a free copy of Novo's Small Business Starter Guide. One more time, that is banknovo.com modern. Modern. Thank you, Novo, for sponsoring today's episode. Now let's get back to it. All right. So last week we were doing some questions and Mike and I barely scratched the surface of that. So we figured we'd just kind of keep going through them. So I'm just going to pick up where I left off in what's it called? Chronological order? Is that kind of, but hopefully you're going to skip some if they're not good questions. I'll skip if it's a bad question, but here, this will be a quick one. So it says, I'm probably going to not pronounce this correctly. Ben has Tamarello. I guess that's a drink that you like. And Mike has Stillhouse. What would Chris's version of a beverage partner be? Yoo-hoo. Ooh, well, you like Yoo-hoo, Chris? I do. I haven't had a Yoo-hoo in years, but I do love a Yoo-hoo. Man, Actually, you know what I delicious. love the most? Horchata. I probably wow. said this before. If anybody wants, if there's a Horchata company out there that wants to sponsor me, let's talk. Hor- okay, so- Horchata would be really good with Tamarello. Is it's it? in the I don't same know what sort tamar- of like tamar- tamarind sweet- is like a Mexican oh, yeah, kind of tamarind? thing. So yeah. yeah, my wife loves that stuff. I'll tell you what. And since we're talking about kind of spicing up kind of everyday items like Oreos, what if you made a horchata yoohoo? That'd be delicious. Throw a little cinnamon in there. <laughs> yeah, that'll be at mm. the same party. That'll be oh. the fancy beverage that goes with your Oreos on a tray. Yeah, exactly. Mike, I forgot to tell you. One of okay. our chef friends was in town. Al. Uh, Al. He brought a new hot sauce for you to try. Uh-oh. Ooh, dang. Well, I'm sorry I missed that evening. Well, what, we, wait, what makes it crazy? Is it using some kind of pepper? It's like sriracha with no sugar. Ooh, fun. So okay. They use oil. So there's more oil in it, but, you know, it's a good oil. So, and they don't add any sugar. So it's not quite as sweet and ketchupy as sriracha and as tomatoey, but it's like, just the key ingredients. So it's like the huh. hardcore Szechuan sriracha. I'm down with it, man. I've been I've been trimming out. I've been doing a lot of intermittent fasting, so I'm down with some zero sugar sriracha. Boom. All right, next question. Next question. Do you have a mic or you want me to keep going? Yeah, keep them rolling, Chris, because I'm honestly trying to find that okay. post. How are you so good at working the the backside of wow, Kylie, oh, the back know. end? Oh no! <laughs> Come on, now. how I'm do you do man. so well in the the insights on Instagram? How are you Experience, finding Mike. your Experience. posts like this? So mine, if you go into it, then you can do view all, and it should look like this. How did you find the post oh, to begin archives. with? Huh? If okay. you go to archives, you should you can see all your old stories. Well, that's cool. Sometimes okay. Okay, well, let's teach go the next. millennials how to use these social media programs. I try and stay off the social media a little bit and just keep it for work, to be honest, Actually, for my mental health. Here's a question about that. Anyway, well, the last one was from B-Thumb Design. I forgot to say that. This one's from John Shepard One. He says, when... So this happened the day that Instagram went out, went down. This was the day that we asked for questions. It says, when Instagram, Facebook, or any social media go down, what are the initial reactions of content creators? I didn't really react. I don't really use it that much, honestly, day to day, unless I had something to put. Po- if YouTube went down right when I was going to post a video, I'd probably be like, what the hell? But at the same time, be like, well, there's nothing I can do about it. So I guess I'll go on until it can come back up and the brand or whatever. Not- Other people will just have to understand that it's out of my control. It's not that big of a deal, right? It's like a snow day. It Since it's affecting everyone, the, the yeah. first thing that you do is you confirm that it's not just you or your phone or your device or your internet connection that's the problem. I think that's the wasted time is in just double checking to make sure it's actual a platform problem and not a you or internet or yeah, how device many, problem. How many cumulative hours were spent checking that stuff that Monday? So whenever I have a trouble with something, I always look at Twitter and if I see like Instagram down trending, I actually had to do a, a sponsored post that day. So I just emailed the brand, said, hey, Instagram appears to be down. They're like, no problem. Just do it when it's up. So it's really not too big of a deal. I think the only tricky part is I was traveling 
And there's some people that I was meeting up with, like I was meeting up with mm. the the artist Sebastian Urotzeries for for a dinner. And I primarily communicate with him on Instagram messaging. So that was the only thing for, you know, that was challenging. I had to go find his phone number in an email and text him since that was our primary. But other than the messaging, there's no real imperative or anything like that. It's not like I'm getting news from these things regularly or it's not like each one of them takes a, a place. Now, if YouTube was down for a month that would be a big deal. But if it was down for a day, even if it was down for, they said, you know what? We're taking all of YouTube down for three straight days to like do maintenance on the servers. Honestly, not that big of a deal. No, I think there'd be something kind of like nice about it in a weird way. It feels like it would be like, oh, cool. I don't have to think about doing this for three days. You'll probably continue doing whatever you were going to be doing anyway, but it'll feel like I'm playing with my own time now. Honestly, the bigger problem is bad internet. When your internet at your home or your office is not working smoothly, that's, I think, a much more frustrating challenge than something platform-wise because that's specific to you and it's within your kind of realm of responsibilities, like, you know, of, of things you have to get done. So for me, I have much more worries about day-to-day internet or if i'm traveling like will the hotel internet be good enough or you know some flights have internets where you can send i think that's the bigger thing like i will totally not fly an airline if they don't have good internet because if it's a five-hour flight like that's that's the difference of like getting actual like three good productive hours out of that five hours versus like well let's watch a movie i would never never otherwise watch (laughs) (laughs) let's watch jumanji too (laughs) hey that's such an airplane movie Chris, you like that one or what? I actually never saw it, but Jumanji 1 was a a hit. Hey, it was pretty good, man. I think that was Jack Black's best movie, if I had to say so. I mean that 100% seriously. That's not a joke. That's that's as good as it gets. I I mean, and I think the original was Robin Williams' best work, so. Mm -hmm. Actually, it might have (laughs) been. No, I'm kidding. It's a fantastic movie. Okay, Chris, you got one more question for us? I think that one took us down some real, some nice turns. Let's see here. We got, we may have already talked about this, but Barrio Woodworks, he says, is YouTube oversaturated with woodworking channels? Absolutely not. What if his mic cut out right then? He just said, absolutely. Bro, I was about to. (laughs) is, Is, I mean, a library can't be oversaturated with books. It's only oversaturated if you can't find what you're looking for. And I think there's never been a better time for finding great content across all different skill levels, all different tool types. There's, and you know what? When, when I got started, there just wasn't that much good content. Like I remember searching because one of the first videos I did was making a table with like cast iron pipes for the legs. There was like four other videos. That wasn't that long ago. Now right. there's thousands. There literally thousands. Yeah. And there's a lot of different options. Every style, different techniques, made at different budgets, made with different tools. So I think, you know, it would be like more options is a good thing, particularly because there's search behind it. And there's so many ways to find new youtubers you could find them from instagram you could find them from pinterest so if there was a if their search if their search capabilities weren't so high and there wasn't this cross indexing with other platforms then yeah saturation could be a problem if you just kept seeing crappy stuff and never found the good stuff but the youtube algorithm is really good and it doesn't always work in my favor but there's a lot of times I really like, like, I've been thinking about this. I talked a little bit about it with Steve Ramsey when I did it. You'll hear a lot of people complaining about the algorithm. Oh, it's like burying my stuff. If you talk to any of those people and you say, how many of your videos have gotten more views than you have subscribers? And they'll be like, oh. And it's like, that's the algorithm. That's the algorithm punching you up because they realize that that video you have and the behavior they've watched in all these millions of people is a great match. And they're connecting. Right. So if I do a floating bed, they're realizing there's a lot of people that like this gimmicky shit. And like, <laughs> we're going to give it to them. <laughs> like, right. So I know 
I the people I hear saying that it's oversaturated are normally people in my generation or before that didn't have a lot of competition and mm-hmm. now are it's like the old head basketball players like Charles Barkley like saying that Steph Curry's not good. Meanwhile, Steph Curry and Durant have both won more rings than he ever did, but it's in his interest to denigrate the newer people that came after him because he's insecure and he's afraid that they're outperforming them because they are. And that's a healthy thing. Like there's supposed to be this cycle of things of like new things coming out and, and surging forward and doing good stuff. And I think I don't see how in a platform that's free or mostly free that too many choices is a bad thing. No. And I will go ahead and say that I do think it's saturated, but I don't think that that's a bad thing. And I think that that's kind of my take on it because whenever I started, there's like a proof of like maybe like a half a million people watching DIY content around. And now there's millions of people watching DIY content. And so, yeah, there's more people making videos, but there's so many more eyes on the genre in general. And so do I want to be early? Yeah, it's always good to be early, but the movement of what we're doing collectively on YouTube, just building things, people that are building furniture, people that are building robots, all of that is gaining momentum and gaining steam. And so, yeah, it's saturated, but what you're saying, the people that are doing the things the right way, it doesn't matter if they started posting four years ago or if they started posting in two years from now. It's the person that's figuring it out, doing it right the right way, despite any other external competition. I think Bourbon Moth is the perfect example exactly. of someone that I've been watching. And I started being really watching Bourbon Moth a little bit after I was watching Mr. Build It and sort of that wave. Yeah, And I think Bourbon Moth... He's executing his projects incredibly well. He's making the content the right way and he's being unique. And he's not saturating. He's he's evolving. He's taking the game to a new level that's higher. What he's doing, what he's doing, like he recently did a really awesome round concrete fire pit. He's not stealing any views from a you made one that was a square. He's not stealing any views from you. You are both going to get more views because those videos exist. Yeah. Your video is going to suggest him and his video is going to suggest you. And so this idea of there being competition, there's competition if there's only, if everyone can only watch one fire pit video, but if there's four good ones, people are going to watch all four good ones. If there's six good ones, people are going to watch all six good ones. And then at a certain point, we'll deal with it. But until we reach a real tipping point, which we're not anywhere close to, I don't think of good design and good videos in terms of DIY and making, there's still so long to go. So if you want to make videos, start making videos. Don't think it's saturated. Chris thought it was saturated when he started. I thought it was saturated when I started. Here's one more point. And I I really liked what you said, Mike. And I, you know what I think is saturated is when you see a movie and it just, the plot is like point for point, just like another plot. It just has newer CGI. That means we're saturated (laughs) because there's no change in format. There's just slightly new technology, but it's really the same thing rehashed over again. We've all seen movies like that where you're like, this is just like the newer version of that movie. Sure. That's a media form that's oversaturated. There's so many TV shows that are just like each other. Then just some really original ones that come out and those ones stand out and pop out. The reason why I would say so strongly that I don't think YouTube is oversaturated is because the projects people are doing now are so different than the projects people were doing five years ago. It's not like people are building basic coffee tables anymore. You brought up Bourbon Moth. He's building like incredible boats and fine woodworking. I was looking at this (laughs) mid-century modern table he did with these crazy, you know, turning curved legs and stuff. That was not on YouTube five years ago. There's maybe like one or two people that did things half that complicated or half that sophisticated. The editing game, the the production game is all improved. The videos now don't look like the videos that long ago, except maybe mine and Jimmy Durestis. But <laughs> the it's I wouldn't say it's saturated because it's changing and evolving so fast. So I think that's yeah. what I think is happening. We're seeing an evolution of the platform, the content, and the mediums. 
I think that that's true. And it's kind of funny because at the heart of YouTube, like their old slogan was like broadcast yourself. So the whole point of it is just like, hey, you know, film yourself and post it. But back in the day when it was like the woodworkers and the makers, there weren't a lot of people that were doing it aggressively the way people are doing it as a career now. And so I think what happens is if I'm somebody that's like I'm enjoying the maker community online and I want to contribute to it, but I'm also living a normal life and I'm not this full-time content creator. There's this idea of like, Oh, I'm going to make YouTube videos and then I'll get a following like Bob or I'll get a following like Chris, I'll get a following like bourbon moth. But that happens by literally committing a hundred percent of your time to it. And I think there's a lot of channels out there that don't have the time to commit to building an audience. That's a thing that you would build a job around And maybe they consider that discouraging or they see a lot of channels that size and consider that idea discouraging. But I think that that's an awesome thing. That is the heart of YouTube. And most people are not going to have the time to post and spend all of their waking hours making videos. And so, yes, YouTube is saturated, saturated in a lot of channels where that is people's creative way of expressing themselves. They're putting themselves out there and, and creating a real community of people that are building and online. But just because there's a lot of those channels that aren't running crazy numbers doesn't mean that the scene or the genre or anything like that is oversaturated, I don't believe. Right. All That's right. just contribution. That's just community and contribution. Chris, you got a take or should we move on to what you're obsessed with? I think you, you guys hit all the... Hit all the points that I would have said. We kind of ran on that one for you a while. Did. You Hopefully, guys had it wasn't a lot to too say, much. So I just stepped back and said, "Roll." Yeah. All right. Obsessions. Obsessed then with. I'll go first. Okay. Ooh, obsessed with. Okay. Ooh. Okay. I got a Hold good one, it, Mike. It's not a very original one. Have what you guys it? seen Squid Game yet? Uh, Mike was gonna maybe start watching it last week. That was what I got excited about because I did my homework, Chris. Uh-oh, I was proud of myself for doing my homework. I still have not watched it. Okay, so it gets roasted for the English dubbing over the Korean acting. And a lot of people like say or- Well, a lot of people say, Hey, are do you watch a do you watch a foreign movie with overdubbing regularly? No, most of the time you just read the subtitles. Right. And yeah. so that is sort of the 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 viewer's advice that a lot of people give. And I do agree. There's plenty of foreign films that are good that I enjoy. And none of them are overdubs. And the overdubbing really does make it tough to watch. Can you watch yeah. it without it? Yeah. Okay. You can watch yes. it with just subtitles. Yep, you can watch it with subtitles. So he, he, I want to bring up sort of a point of it. It's Netflix's most popular show ever. Wow. And it's the number one show in over 90 different countries. Okay. Which is insane. Like, I think it's really interesting. It doesn't have a particularly huge budget and how do we know that that any of this is true though because netflix doesn't release any of its numbers look at google search trends they posted that it's the most searched for show on google and that's all public okay that's fair but as it relates to actual viewership no one knows yeah but also if you look at the twitter followers for the cast that that the one the main girl or she's not even the main actress she literally went from four hundred thousand followers to like 15 million in like a yeah, matter it's pretty of wild. There's like that's bigger than the Stranger Things cast. That's like bigger than all of those things because it has an international audience as well that a lot of the U.S. shows don't. Right. But what's interesting is, you know, I don't mean to get like on a rant here, but I was like thinking about this, and people are so surprised. Like, how is this like Korean-made show like hitting to all these fields? And I think it kind of loosely ties into that idea we talked about of saturation. Like if so many shows are built on the formula, and this is what Hollywood does, is they kind of look at what works and then copy it with an updated twist. And then they think of diversity as like, oh, we'll do the same show, but we'll just change the race of the person in it. So they're not really changing perspective or themes or that. They're just changing the color of a couple things. Sometimes people, sometimes set, sometimes CGI. And I think the reason this show hit off is that it's, if you talk to like, uh, if I talk to any of my Korean friends about it, they're like, yeah, it's just kind of like a Korean show. 
like it hits a lot of themes that are really typical in television over there, like shame and kind of like desperation and gambling addicts. And that those are like more established sort of genres and tropes over there that are that they emphasize in a way that we emphasize things a little bit differently over here. So I think that's why it, one of the reasons why it popped. And they also have a weird way of kind of doing like horror and suspense, like Train from Busan or like Snowpiercer or those kind of movies or even like Parasite to a certain degree. They just have like a little there's just sort of a different take. And I don't think that it's that means now what's going to happen is American studios are now going to try to do bad copies of it because that's <laughs> It's just like, oh, crazy rich Asians made a bunch of money. Let's make a bunch of knockoffs with that. And they're missing the idea that it's like, we don't want like more Panda Express, although don't get me wrong, Panda, some orange chicken every once in a while is not bad at all. But it's like every once in a while, I think like an actual idea that's relatively novel to a new place can kind of take over. I think Guy Ritchie movies were like a great example, right? Remember like when Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels or like Snatch came out and you're like, Oh, this is like Tarantino, but it had like a different, the, the language was different. But after I watched like two of them, I was like, okay, I'm good. I didn't, you know, they cut, it kind of got like progressively less interesting, but like Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, when that came out, I was like, holy crap, this is like, this feels different. And then Snatch was really good. And then I was like, okay, this is a formula. It's not really there. It was just like, it was fresh to me. And I think that's why it sort of popped off. Mike was um, three years old, probably. Did you ever see Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels? No, but Snatch is a fantastic movie. I love that movie. So if Snatch is Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is Reservoir, is Reservoir Dogs. Dogs. Okay, I'm down with that. That's cool. And even you know, even Tarantino's best movies are the ones where you think you know what's going to happen because you understand the style of a Tarantino movie, but then he tricks you on his own style. Yeah. So... That's the beauty of staying original. But yeah, okay, so I watched, uh, what's the what's the show called? Squid Games. Okay, if you are having a hard time watching it, just skip three quarters of the way through the first episode and <laughs> watch the first game. The intro, I'm just going to say it, it sucks. The intro's terrible, and if the Squid Game that they did in the intro is a real game, we need to talk to who created it because it doesn't seem like it would be a legitimate game for children to play. And so it was hard to sign up for at that point. But the first game that they played was pretty fun to watch, and it kind of signs you up to watch the second episode. The problem is there's no game in the second episode. So you watch an entire episode, and you're like, why would I even watch that? Episode three comes around, and they play the second game. It's worth watching. It's pretty fun. And then from there, chaos really is able to ensue, and it becomes a good series. But I am going to give the review slow starter, yeah. Fun aesthetics. Not bad. Not it's, bad. It's not a great I don't think it's a great show. I think it's an interesting show as a That's phenomenon. That's what I'm saying. Not bad, but it does have a really good aesthetic. Like All right. Yeah, it's just got a really good look and it is shot really well. So it's fun. I, so I'm down with here's, it. Here's the search volume stats. So Squid Game had a search volume at its highest point that was four times higher than the Tiger King at its highest point and six times higher than the Mandalorian at its highest point. What about like Game of Thrones? Now, are we talking, are we talking Netflix level or are we talking like HBO and things included? Yeah. They they were doing for the last like three years. So it didn't go back that far. I think it has to be something that has to do with just like, yeah, internationally compared to we're thinking of it more locally because yeah if you but just tell you what like that people trait- talking about it it does not feel as and big. there's not that many people in the u.s really like no. globally right right, right. right. yeah yeah in terms of word of mouth it doesn't feel as big and yeah it, but watching the trailer man they hit it like the trailer looks so good with all the color and the way that it's shot like it pulls you in and makes you want to check it out yeah, I'll check yeah. it but out. But then the problem is, I'm telling you, if any w- viewers out here want to call me out, go for it. I'm going to say right now, here we go. I can make myself look stupid. There's no way that game is real in life. So you waste the first 10 minutes of the show describing a game that is no way possible to happen in real life. It is just, it can't happen. There's no way that this game could competitively exist. I don't oh, know the what actual you're saying, squid so game. I, yes, the thing that you waste the first 10 minutes on in the show, there's no way that's a real game. It can't be. I want to waste Mike these first 10 Korean minutes Mike says Korean culture now. is fake. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Oh, come on, baby. 
bring the hammer down on me. No, but I'm serious. Like that was the part that made the, that was one of the things that made this show so hard to sign on to is I'm like, you're describing this game and the maneuvers in this game. And I'm thinking this game is stupid and there's no way it's real. Now I gotta watch yeah. it because I, I feel like that's kind of how people think of like American football when they like watch like when Europeans watch. But it. watch the game and it makes sense, especially if you've ever played soccer <laughs> or rugby. It all makes sense. It's it's a clear game with an objective that people are playing towards. <laughs> Hot this dogs squid and game burgers game are the best possible whack. food. Like your other food, like what is going on with this? <laughs> See, you're twisting my words in a way that I don't like at all. I'm saying watch the first ten minutes and then describe to me how that game would be it, real. It, I'm willing to make a stand on that. You know what's funny? I don't actually disagree with the sentiment. I would phrase it a little bit this way and see see if if you agree with with my framing of it. Is I don't understand how that game would have a competitive balance. It seems like there'd be like a gimmicking way that where you might as well just start swinging on the other dude right away and just go right and just go like full on like tackle the guy and they'd be like, okay, I won battle royal, boom, game over. Exactly. It but seems like there's like would be a weird it in hack. A way- well, they phrase it in a way it's like, hey, everyone knows this game. It's hot hopscotch, you know? You're like, like you watch hopscotch on you get one it. leg, but with like pushing and shoving. It, and it and no, why yeah. are why are we going why do we need to be in the places that we need to be in? And why is this guy contained I, in the place that he is? And why doesn't he use force to prevent me from getting to the place I want to go? I need to actually see a real game of it. Played. That's what I'm saying. I don't think it exists. I think they c- invented it from scratch for the show and it made it you know feel what? so fake. I felt the same way when I heard about Quidditch in Harry Potter. I'm like, See? this game makes no sense. Like, Because at the end of the game, you you're just, like, why don't you just have you, everybody wait snitch. for the golden snitch and yeah. just like ignore all the other things or just crash into as- everybody? And as soon as the snitch comes out, why are you still playing the game? Everyone should be blocking people and getting the snitch. Exactly. So I'm fine with a little inconsistencies in uh, literature and movie games. But I'm saying Squid Games did a really bad job on this one. But outside of that, the actual show, yeah, the games that they play in the show are really fun to watch. Okay, They're crazy. Mike, we want to play red light, green light at yeah, Rachel's yeah. place with the barrels. Um, dude, did, last time I was over there and tried to ride one of those barrels, I like threw a disc out of my back. I, I didn't face plant. I back planted so hard on the dirt. I think I've, I, I hurt myself bad, dude. All right. No, but no I barrel also, racing. I didn't want to like, look like it hurt that bad. So I really walked it off. But the next couple of days I was, I was sore, man. Done and done. Chris, what do you got? So I've, uh, done another of something I've talked about in the past where I, Look for a band that I didn't really listen to that much, and I, I give them a little deep dive. Nice. So I was thinking about what are the biggest kind of bands within the genre of rock from, say, the early 2000s, say, like 2000 to 2010. And the two that popped up in my head are Coldplay and The Killers. Okay. Does that okay. sound fair? So Coldplay, I've listened to plenty of, like, you know, I would listen to all their albums whenever they came out. Yeah, I know. (laughs) We've all seen 40-year-old Virgin. (laughs) No, but look, I like both of those bands. I'm not flexing on you. So the Killers, I deep dived. I went through their, like, entire catalog. Like, I don't know how many albums they have, six or seven of them, up to, like, ones that came out not even a year ago, probably. And I really deep dived them. And I will say that they are a lot better than I think I gave them credit for. So their deep tracks are more musical, like their albums are fun to listen to. Yeah. all I mean, like they have very catchy songs like Brandon Flowers. He's very melodic and theatrical the way that he sings. Yeah. Like they definitely. Ha- my, so my dad loves Bruce Springsteen. So like there's definitely Bruce <laughs> my dad Springsteen. loves the killers. <laughs> Does he really? No, <laughs> no. But that's what your son's uh, about to say soon. <laughs> yeah. My grandpa loves Bruce Springsteen. My dad loves the killers. Um no, but yeah, there, there's like definitely elements of that that I can hear in it. But um, yeah, they're good, man. They're a lot better than than I had given them credit for. So if, if anybody ever wrote them off because of, I don't know, they were too cool or whatever, go back and check them out. So question. Born to Rome, baby. Yeah. In a versus. Yeah. In a versus battle. Head yeah. to head. Song for song. Yeah. Coldplay or the Killers. Who wins? <laughs> I, I personally think the killers. 
I and I would say I've listened to all of their day. tracks deep. Especially, man, I was listening to their first album, and like literally the first seven songs on that are all radio singles. Oh, nice! It's crazy. That thing is just <laughs> chock full of hits. Yeah, I remember they were huge, dude. Make it a three-way battle. Okay. And you throw in Imagine Dragons. <laughs> oh, God. Imagine that. Can, can we just kill Imagine Dragons? Like, Can we just get rid of them in this in this scenario? It's definitely yeah. a, a later, uh, a different er, er, uh, what's it, generation. They're nothing like Creed, but they're the Creed for their time. Yeah, you're right. Just too much, too soon. Mm. Boom. <laughs> All right. Well, wait, I have an obsession, back. guys. Oh, go I got for an it, obsession. Uh-oh. I'm going to do a double down. I'm going to do a couple of YouTube comedy specials. They're coming out. People are doing them and they're getting views. Mark Normand released oh, a funny. hour special. He just threw it out on YouTube. I think it's getting some traction, but regardless of whether it is or not, go check it out. It's funny. He's a he's guy very, that he's very funny. He's a very funny dude, and he's somebody that has a lot of the elements that a comic like Conan has, where he's like upfront, really bubbly, really fun, but also his comedy is still really smart and deep. And so I think he's like a classic stand-up comedian. Like he's very, he's got jokes. He's got actual jokes. He really is. He's got like zingers in a classic way. Yeah. And then the other one is Shane Gillis. So he recently put out a special as well. Now he is, uh, his comedy special is, he's is a little bit more dark, but honestly, yeah. Well, shouts out. If I was there, I would have told him he put out like the best comedy special I've seen probably in, probably in like a year or two. I can't think of one in the most recent history that I've thought was better. It was absolutely hilarious. He was on, it was fantastic. He was on flagrant Two promoting it while yeah. I was out there. And you know what? Loki kind of a big dude. Yeah. He played uh college football. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a funny guy and very just aw shucks salt of the earth. Yeah, I think he's got it like a really relatable hour. So if you want to check either of those out, they're both free on YouTube. And that's the cool part about it. So go watch them. Give it a like. And, you know, like what we were talking about, you having a fire pit video and someone else having a fire pit video is only going to make more of those get views and everything. So I think it's cool that all of the scenes are really doing this YouTube thing because putting things behind a paywall sucks, especially when the things behind a paywall suck compared to what's on YouTube. And so anyways, we appreciate the show big time. And if you want to support us, the best thing you can do is just follow us on YouTube, Instagram, anywhere you like to watch content. Chris is at Forest Furniture. Ben is at Benjamin Ueda. I am at Modern Builds. Send us some topics. Send us some questions you think we should answer and we will get to them. We appreciate the support and we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Later. Bye.